Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. We're in a series uh, entitled Detox, and we started this series last week. Today I'm going to take you to another New Testament book of the Bible, and it's a book called 2 Timothy. And so if you would like, just written out your Bible, whether that's a digital one or a paper one, and finding your way to the New Testament, then start thumbing through the New Testament. You're going to go past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just keep going over. And uh, you're going to come to a book called Timothy. There's 1 Timothy, then there's 2 Timothy. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of verses in here today um, as we continue our detox series. And today, specifically, I want to talk to you about this idea of detoxing from toxic relationships. Detoxing from toxic relationships. Now here's one thing I know and I fully discovered is that all of us in life, no matter if we're a Christian or not a Christian, no matter who we are in life, we need relationships around us uh, to make us better people, to, to have us become more wise, to have us move forward in life. Uh, but that's especially true in this spiritual journey called Christianity. We need to surround ourselves with people, and it makes this journey a whole lot more effective and a whole lot easier. We're going to look at that today, but here's the reality, is that many of us have encountered toxic relationships. And what we discover is that relationships can either propel us to great heights or pull us down to great lows, right? And uh, here's the thing that we tend to want to do. We tend to want to run from those relationships that pull us down. And what we're going to discover today is that sometimes those relationships need to be cut off because they are absolutely pulling you down. But other times, you don't necessarily need to run from those relationships. What you need to do is have a grace and love-filled biblical perspective of how you can guard yourself from being pulled down from those relationships and rather than being impacted, be the impactor. Are you with me? And so we're going to look at some of that today, but the reality is, is that every one of us sitting in here uh, probably can think of some people that uh, as we go through this idea today of detoxing from toxic relationships, we can probably think of some specific people in our life that we probably need to detox from. What does the word detox mean? Let me just give you a working definition for our series that's going to be going for quite some weeks now. And it's this, uh, detox, it means treatment designed to rid the body of poisonous substances, okay? And now I've had to do some cleanses before in my life and some natural detoxes for medical reasons or maybe just because I wanted to detox my body. But we're not looking at it from a natural perspective, but we're taking that same idea that there are poisonous things that come into our life, whether last week we talked about, you know, detoxing from toxic religion. It might be detoxing from toxic words or toxic thoughts or toxic ideas. Well, today specifically when we think of this definition of detox, we're talking about detoxing from relationships that are poisoning us and pulling us down. What does the word toxic mean? The word toxic means anything containing poisonous material capable of causing serious sickness or even death. All right? And so we're going to look at this idea when it comes to our spirituality and maybe even the soul side of us, but not the natural side. Here's the thing is that uh, and I was a psychology major, and uh, when I studied psychology, here's one thing we learned is that in every community of people, it can be a family, it can be a small group, but that in every single family, there is at least one psychotic person in it. Come on, somebody. Right? 
I mean, right now, let's just do this. Think about your family for a moment. You know, take church out, take small groups up for a moment. Just think about your family for a moment. And how many of you guys, you can raise your hand, would say, yeah, I can think of that psychotic person in my family. Just raise your hand. Okay? Now, everybody, just look, no, leave your hand up. Just look, look around. Everybody hands raised. Okay? Now, put your hand down. Now, here's the reality. Remember that there's one in every family. If your hand wasn't raised, you're probably the one, all right? And so the reality is, is there's one in every family, so I won't ask you to raise hands again because then people are really going to be looking around. But, but there, it seems to be true, you know, whether it's your crazy uncle or your crazy cousin or maybe a mom or a dad. But uh, here's what we're going to discover today is how we can handle these relationships in a biblical perspective. Are you with me? Second Timothy, book of Second Timothy. Timothy um, is a book written by a guy named Paul. It actually was a letter. It wasn't a book back then. It was a letter written to a guy named Paul. Uh, 1 Timothy would be the first letter he wrote. And 2 Timothy, although it's called 2 Timothy, is probably like the third or fourth letter he wrote. But we have it here as another letter written to uh, his son in the faith, Timothy, who was pastoring a great church. And Timothy is having some struggles with some relationships with some people. Now, what I love about the book of Timothy is, uh, as Paul writes it, it's really writing from a biblical perspective that all of us as believers, as we read through these books, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, that we can glean things from, apply to our life, and learn how to live a more godly perspective. And uh, matter of fact, starting in October, I am going to, um, I'm opening up to all those that are serving at Canvas Church, all those that are on the ministry team. I'm opening up a thing that we're just going to call Next Level Leadership, uh, Ministry Team Leadership Team. Um, and it's going to be on the first and third of every Wednesday. And if you're serving, it is open to you. We're going to actually be diving into First and Second Timothy and be learning some biblical perspectives of how we can live more Christ-like and, and really become greater leaders and followers of Jesus Christ. And so here in Second Timothy... Chapter 2, uh, Paul is specifically writing about some people that are bringing Timothy down and bringing others in the faith down. Uh, the faith down. So let's read it. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 14. And it says, remember, excuse me, remind them of these things. What things? Charge them before God not to fight about words. This in no way is profitable and leads to the ruin of the hearer. So what's happening there? There are some people that are speaking some words and they're spreading some things around and it's impacting people and it's beginning to bring them down. Verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of, uh, of truth. So how are you going to combat it? By giving a biblical perspective and teaching that and living by that. Verse 16. But avoid irreverent empty speech, for this will produce an even greater, greater measure of godlessness. So how do you avoid that speech? How, here, here, Paul is diving, they say, you've got to avoid that speech. How do you avoid that speech? Rather, you've got to avoid those people. Verse 17. And their word will spread like, now listen to it, their word will spread like gangrene. We're going to talk about this idea today that Paul uses this concept of gangrene and how these words from these toxic people will begin to spread and begin to corrupt and begin to take over and begin to consume. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. Uh, Lord, I pray in the next few moments that we have together that, uh, Lord, you just speak to us and teach us from your word and that we would walk away, God, knowing how to uh, live our life with a biblical perspective. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. 
Uh, my wife and I moved to Southern California, to San Diego, in 1999, uh, all the way from the, the, the great state of Washington in a beautiful city called Seattle, uh, which is beautiful for about 20 days out of the year. Come on, because the sun is shining. We moved from there, and I'm telling you, we loved Seattle, but when we left, it had literally rained for 90 days straight. And so when we moved and left Seattle and moved down to San Diego in 1999, we, we, we thought we hit the promised land. Is anybody with me? You know? I love San Diego. Now, we got here, and I'm, I'm telling you, for the first couple of months, it was like a perpetual vacation. Uh, we would wake up, and we lived in this beautiful apartment in Rancho Bernardo, and we were helping plant a church in the Rancho Bernardo. And, man, we would wake up, we would walk outside, the sun would be blinding us, there was palm trees, and the, the pool in the community was glistening. It was just like, man, it was like paradise. And, and we were, I'll be honest with you, we were having a hard time working for about the first, I don't know, three years. Come on, somebody, right? Because it was like, we left this and came to this, it's paradise. And I'll never forget the very first time we went out to use the pool at our complex. It was like a weekend, we're excited, we're going to enjoy paradise, and there's palm trees all around the pool. And we go out there, and we pick our spot around the pool before anybody else gets there, because we don't know how this thing works, right? We don't know if people are used to San Diego or not. We got out there like at 6, 8 a.m. laying out our towels, saving our spots. And we were there until about 4 before anybody else came, but whatever, you know? And, uh, and so we're out there, and we're just like, this is fun. We're sunbathing, we're swimming in the pool, and having a great time. And all of a sudden, the attendant frantically comes out and says, I need everybody out of the pool. Everybody out of the pool, now you need to get out of the pool. And I'm like, what's going on? There's like a shark. I'm new to this thing, right? You know, what's happening? Like, what, I'm going to get out of the pool, you know? And so we get out of the pool, and we're kind of looking around, and I see a mom sheepishly in the corner, kind of taking her son. And, and so I walk up to the attendant, and I'm like, hey, like, what's going on? Why do we have to get out of the pool? And they're like, well, there's a child pooped in the pool. Anybody ever been to the pool like that before, right? And I had to get everybody out. And I'm, looking, I'm new to this thing. And I'm like, I didn't have a pool. And I never had a pool growing up. This was like paradise to me. And I'm like, well, can't, can't we just like not have anybody in the place he pooped? Can't we just all like, can we be over here and just play? Just kind of shove the water that way? I mean, what's wrong with us being in the pool? Like, no, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Once, you know, that stuff hits the water, it just spreads. And, and then you, you can't be in it. As a matter of fact, we have to treat it. And you can't be in it for 24 hours. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? I'm like, that toxic child, you know? I mean, the child was like, dude, it wasn't really his fault. So I'm like, man, what kind of mom are you, right? It rained on my parade. And, and, and here's the reality is that I couldn't get a lie because the minute that hit the pool, it began to contaminate the whole entire thing. And we had to avoid it. We had to get away from it. Or it could cause serious sickness and damage to us. This is the picture that Paul is painting in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He is saying, hey, look, as you are moving forward, Timothy, in your spirituality, as you are moving forward and growing in your faith, I notice that you've encountered some people, and he actually names them as you read on, and he just names two people. I mean, come on, what's two people out of hundreds that are following Jesus Christ? He says, no, you don't understand something. Man, that they're toxic, and the words they speak and the words they bring will spread like gangrene and will begin to destroy you. Are you with me? These are toxic relationships. And so what we need to do as Christ's followers is have a biblical perspective of, of number one, what kind of toxic relationships are we talking about in Scripture? But then number two, how do we handle toxic relationships? Are you with me this morning? Yeah. And so he says, man, they're going to they're gonna spread like gangrene. If you do a study on gangrene, it ain't pretty. This thing like just kind of begins to take over all healthy cells, begins to grow, 
and begins to suck the life out of the body and out of the skin. And, and literally, really what happens is, is where the gangrene is, the body, that part, body part is dead, basically. And so he says, look, it's going to spread like that and it's going to kill off people in the faith and they're not going to know how to live. They're not going to know how to follow after me. And so he warns them of this. And, and, and he's, now here's, here's something you got to understand. Is I, I've been doing this for a little while now. And I don't believe anybody wakes up in the morning thinking to themselves, I am going to be toxic today. Right? Now, I know there are a few bad apple seeds in every bunch, right? But I don't think anybody intentionally wakes up and is like, I am going to find a way to corrupt somebody else today. That is my goal in the next 24 hours. No, I think it just, it just, just kind of happens. As a matter of fact, most toxic people, the reality is they don't even know they're toxic. They've been impacted and infected so much by different relationships and words and wrong thoughts and, and, and toxic religion. And so now they're just walking around and they're just using this thing without even realizing it most of the time. That's why running from it isn't always the best thing. And so I understand that the reality is there's some of us sitting in here today that, that as we talk about this, the reality is that some of you are toxic and you don't even know it. But that's what's so great about being a part of a church. Because we're not here to point things out and be like, <laughs> no, we're here to point things out and be like, hey, come on, let's grow together. Let's move forward together. Amen? I mean, those are the kind of friends you want to be around. Those are the kind of people you want to be around. So what kind of toxic things are we, we, we thinking about today and talking about today? Because we want to grow so we can love them, care for them, and extend God's grace to them and pull them into the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. The Bible addresses... Several types of toxic relationships, but let me just give you, I think, really the three top, and that is this. Number one, toxic relationships that we need to be aware of and, 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 and do something with as believers. Number one is false teachers. False teachers. And, and the Bible talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Paul, again, writing another great letter, writes to the church in Corinth. And he's specifically talking about there are some teachers among you that are teaching wrong principles. They've taken God's word and they're not teaching it properly. And so because of that, your, your, your religion, your belief, your faith is becoming toxic. And so let me just read this one verse. He says this as he's writing to him. He says, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Pay attention to this. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And he's specifically, once again, talking about teachers. And these bad teachers corrupt good morals. Now, I would love for me to be able to say this, that if that's true, then the opposite of this must be true. That good company, man, it, it promotes good morals. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, don't be deceived. In other words, this is the way it works. You can be a really good person have really great morals, be doing the best you can to live a godly life, but if there are toxic relationships around you, their bad will overcome your good. Okay? That doesn't sound fair. I know it doesn't sound fair. And that's why Paul's saying, hold on a second, guys. Don't be deceived. You need to know this. If you allow those teachers, those false teachers, to continue to teach, continue to preach, continue to spread this, it's eventually going to take over, and it's going to be consuming, and they will be. That's why the Bible talks about, Paul talks about this to Timothy, that people begin to keep up for themselves teachers that speak to their best interests rather than the gospel truth. Now everybody's running off following their own thing. Are you with me today? And so Paul is, is saying to the church of Corinth here, hey guys, be aware of this. Avoid false teachers. 
These are not just people who uh, overtly teach something contrary. Sometimes it can be on accident. But it, what, what it produces, it produces a legalistic mentality. What do we mean by a legalistic mentality? It produces a faith that says, if I work harder, if I do more, then I can have more. Okay? Well, that is completely contrary to the gospel truth. Christ accepts us just as we are, and because he accepts us just as we are, he works inside of us so we don't stay as we are. But what he doesn't say is he doesn't say, hey, I love you the way you are, but now work to change. Are you with me? He does the changing. He does the transformation. We just come with arms wide and heart abandoned. That's pretty awesome. And he comes in like a surgeon and does the work, and we continue to grow. But sometimes false teaching, and that's what we need to avoid, it can produce this legalistic and this systemized way of doing things. And if you don't do it like that, then you're probably not going to get here. Are you with me this morning? And he says, avoid that, because this will, don't be deceived, this bad company will corrupt what actually is good and what is actually the mean. Second thing that we see in Scripture, another area that we see or toxic relationship to avoid is people who manipulate and control. People who manipulate the, 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 the scenario and try to control people. Again, Paul, because it's the pastoral epistles, he's writing to Timothy, and you can just jot this one down, we're not going to turn to it, but 2 Timothy 3, 4 through 8. Paul specifically addresses this idea of people that are coming in and, and, and taking over and corrupting and manipulating vulnerable women and using them for their gain. And he says, hey, now we've got to avoid these types of people. These types of people are abusive, they're overbearing, and it presents a fear-based mentality. Like, oh, man, I better not be late to church because I'm late to church. pastor's going to see me in it. I better not. It's fear-based. When true faith in Christ is grace-based. Are you with me? The third one, real quickly, because we've got a lot to cover here in the next few moments. The third kind of toxic relationship that we, we, we should avoid scripturally is Chronically negative people. Chronically negative people. Now, I'm sure when I say that one, now we're talking. Yeah, I can relate to that because I can think about somebody right now. Chronically negative people. People that no matter what's going on, the sky is falling, the world is ending, my life is over, right? This always happens to me. Nothing good ever comes of that. These overly negative, critical people. People that, that, that think the worst of every situation. People that don't assume the best when they hear something, but that are immediately assuming the worst about somebody or something. And we should avoid this. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Philippians 4a, as Christians, as Christ followers, here's where your mind needs to be set on. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Are you with me? Whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. And don't be negative and don't be impacted by those that are, but set your mind on all the things that are good. Are you with me? Uh, we, we talk with our leaders all the time and we're always continually working on this. And when I say that, I say I'm always continually working on this. When someone begins to speak to one of our leaders about somebody else in the church and it's negative, that we immediately stop them and say, you know what, I'm pretty sure you just misunderstood them and you didn't hear them right because they would never do that. 
And what are we doing? We're promoting in Canvas Church this idea and this thought that, no, 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 hold on a second. No, we believe the best about people rather than the worst about people. Are you with me? Now, that's not to say everybody's perfect. But here's the thing we did. We stopped gossip right where it's at. And we brought it back to the source. And if it really was said, we help them deal with it. But we always assume the best of every person that we talk to. And that's being talked about. The Bible says, and don't set your mind on those things. Set your mind on the things that are good, that are pure, that are lovely. Here's the reality. Why does the Bible say set your mind on those things? Because if you set your mind on the other toxic things, all of a sudden it begins to get inside of you. And now everything is negative. Everything is critical. These types of people, they're judgmental. They complain a lot. And here's, here's, here's one way that you can kind of notice a person that's like this because you'll be hanging out with somebody and they'll begin to talk to you about somebody else. Right? But the reality is we could use that same energy that we're talking to this person about somebody else and actually go straight to the person and talk to them and work it out. Right? But I understand that maybe they're not even realize they're doing it. That's why we need to be on guard and we need to make sure that we're walking as a community that believes the best, hopes the best, speaks the best, thinks the best, and pushes people back to the source and make sure that people are working things out. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. I don't know about you, but I want to go to a place like that. Right? I mean, it's something, and I'll be, I've, been, I've been guilty of it, but man, something powerful happens when I'm sharing whether it's with my wife or somebody else, and, and I'm sharing, and I'm kind of like, you know, and it's one thing to sh talk about a circumstance, but it's another thing to, to start talking negatively about the person. And then my wife will look at me and say, hold on a second, man, you, you can't talk like that. I'm like, hey, submit, woman. <laughs> that never goes over too well, right? But she's right. I'm like, man, you're right. And it's uncomfortable. But I'd rather go to a place like that that, that sits around and invites and encourages yeah. that kind of behavior. Oh, yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, talk to me about that. Because I've had that same problem with that person. You with me? Here's the one thing that we need to understand is that when we are toxic in those moments, the reality is we're going to be attracted to other toxicity. And so we're going to go, rather than going to the source, and we're going to another person, we start talking, and they're like, oh, yeah, how do you feel? feels good for a moment, but what it does is it spreads, like Timothy said, like gangrene, and it begins to take over, and it begins to destroy, and it begins to corrupt. How do I detox from these relationships? Let me give this to you real quick. How do I detox? How many of you guys want to know how to detox biblically from this thing? Okay, two of you. The rest of you, bear with us. How do I detox from these toxic relationships? Number one, establish boundaries. Establish biblical boundaries. Let me put it this way. Stop letting people poop in your pool. <laughs> like I brought that full circle back to that story. <laughs> Connected, right? Stop it. If, if you don't want to have that happen in your pool, listen, if there were no kids allowed in the pool, there would be none of that happen in the pool. We use a natural, you understand what I'm saying? If you feel like, oh man, I always got to get out of my pool and I feel like there's toxicity all around me, set up some boundaries and don't allow those people in your pool. Right? Set up some healthy boundaries. This is biblical. Jesus did it. Jesus selected 12 out of a greater number of people. What was he doing? He was setting up some boundaries. Then guess what he did? He actually, he actually, there was a time when he said, hey, I'm walking with these 12, but then he pulled three of them away with them, and, and he would be hanging around with them in the 
those critical moments. What was he doing? He was establishing boundaries. There was nothing wrong with good, healthy boundaries, especially in relationships. Single people, take it through your filter. Set up some boundaries now. Right? Married people, you're married. Set up some boundaries now. And you just got to set up some boundaries. You got to make sure that, that you, you, you're guarded. I love, I love what it says in Matthew 16, 23. Times we don't go there, but there was a time that, that he, that Jesus actually took his boundary to this ultimate limit. He already selected 12, whittled it down to three, and he's working and doing life with these people. But there was a time when one of his three that he would get away with started questioning him. It's in this moment where Jesus is asking, hey guys, who, who do people say that I am? And Peter steps up and says, man, you're the, you're the son of God. You're Jesus. You know, and declares, oh, good job, Peter. You're, you know, I'm going to build my church on this revelation. Well, in that same context, a little while later, Jesus begins to say, hey guys, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die and I'm not going to be with you always. And Peter steps in and says, no, I won't allow it. That's not going to happen to you. You know what Jesus does? Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. Talk about a boundary, right? Hey, you're acting like Satan right now. Get away from me. I know the mission I'm on. And if I allow that now, you're with me? He says, get behind me, Satan. Now, hear what I'm saying, okay? If you're having some issues with in-laws and things like that, I don't suggest that you go to your in-laws and say, hey, get behind me, Satan. All right? That probably won't go over real well with them or your spouse, all right? But, but here's what's happening in that moment. Jesus is saying, hey, look, no, I, I've got a mission that I'm to accomplish. And he says this. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block. You're keeping me from being on mission. You're keeping me from moving forward. So I need to separate myself from you for a moment because i got something to accomplish. And so Jesus sets up boundaries, and it's okay to set up these boundaries. Stop letting people be toxic in your life and set up some healthy perspectives and some healthy boundaries. If you're in the middle of conversations that aren't, aren't Christ-honoring, just say, no, hey, man, I, I, I don't talk that way. Hey, can I share a joke with you? You know what? No, that's okay. And as you set up those boundaries, they're going to know where you stand. Right. And I'll, I'll tell you what, people can appreciate that. People can, what they don't appreciate is you're sitting there engaging all this time, and then one day you're like, man, you're going after people. Right? Set up some healthy boundaries. Protect yourself. So you can keep moving forward in the great thing that Christ has for you. Amen. Number two, stay sharp. Stay sharp. Pastor, what do you mean stay sharp? The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. And so you as a friend, you sharpen each other. Iron sharpens iron. The whole concept there is this, and I did this long study on it, is that the reason a knife becomes dull, a knife becomes dull because it's constantly cutting stuff that's not as sharp as itself. And so that's why you can have a super sharp knife and you're cutting cheese and then one day it's just like, man, this thing is gold. All that I ever did was cut cheese. Why is that? Because it's always coming in contact with something that's not as sharp as it or as hard as it, I should say. And the only way that knife can be sharpened is when it comes in contact with a metal that is stronger than itself. That's why you have that little sharpener that's meant for you to use, you know? Don't throw your knives away just because they're dull and get a new set, right? Much cheaper to keep them sharp. And so as Christ follows, we need to make sure that we're staying sharp. So what's the Bible telling us? The Bible's saying you need to get around some people that are harder. I don't mean like, oh, hard though, but <laughs> that are wiser, that have lived a little more life, that have had a little more experience, 
And what better place to find that than in the context of church and a small group? There, all of a sudden, you find yourself around people that, man, maybe that person knows what they're talking about. Man, they got some wisdom to share from. Man, you know what? I want to have a marriage like theirs. Or I want to raise kids like that. Or I want my singleness to be producing what theirs is producing. And I want, are you with me? And so the only way that happens, though, is not just as you're out living life and trying to get into the Word of God and, and, and doing everything you can to try to do it on your own. No, the way you do that is in the context of community, getting around people that are sharper than you or that are stronger than you. And that's why I wear this shirt again. Somebody like, Pastor, didn't you wear that shirt last week? Yes, I did. Someone then asked me, did you wash it? I said, why? I'm going to wear it again. <laughs> Reason I'm wearing the shirt, we got we got small group signups again today because there were a lot of you that missed your opportunity and thought I missed it. No, you can sign up today. We wholeheartedly believe in the idea of small groups because it's there that we go and we get sharpened by people that are wiser than us, that have lived some more life, that maybe can bring context to your circumstance or your situation. Amen. They're so valuable. And that's why even here at Canvas Church, we run our ministries with the concept of small groups in mind. So if you become a part of the worship team, guess what? You're going to get loved on, you're going to get cared for, you're going to get pastored, you're going to get sharper. Listen, our end game isn't just say, hey, sign up for ministry and do, do, do. No, our end game is, is hey, get in the context of community, whether that's a small group or a ministry, because we've learned something biblically that as you do that, you become sharper, sharper, you become wiser, you become more Christ-honoring, and you become a greater impact in your community. I was talking to somebody the other day uh, about our worship teams. And this person said, you know what I love about our worship people? And they said this specifically, you know what I love about Tom and Kim overseeing the worship here at this campus? I said, I love this, is that they are truly caring for and pastoring the people. What was that person saying? That person was essentially saying this, I'm sharper because I'm around Tom and Kim. I'm sharper because I'm in the ministry. I'm sharper because I'm a part of a small group. My life is being transformed and we need to stay sharp. Establish boundaries, start, get wiser, get in the context of community. And the last thing, this is a resort that sometimes we have to go to, cut it off. Cut off a relationship. It is not, it is not producing anything good. And you just have to cut it off. And sometimes you have to cut it off at all means, at all costs, no matter what it takes. So that you can get to the place of health and wholeness and perspective that Christ has for you so that now you can be an impactor rather than impacted. But sometimes you have to cut it off. I know there's, there's things in my life, listen to me, sometimes it's as simple as cutting people off with social media. Okay? If you are a married individual, there is no reason you should be friends with an ex-girlfriend on social media. Well... I got a friend request from an ex-girlfriend. We're married. No, ex-girlfriend. Oh, what? <laughs> I just want to clarify. We are not that kind of church, all right? My wife and I have been married for, gosh, I don't know, 15, 16 years. It was right around, it was right around the time my dad passed away. And I'm pretty sure the person heard me, they were just trying to be like, you know, hey, let me just reach out to them. And they got a friend request, and I was just like, delete. No point. Nothing that person can say to me to make me feel better than my wife can't. Right? Okay, my wife can make me feel a whole lot better. I'm also like, I have plenty of friends speaking into my life. But I bet your words of counsel. 
for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.